Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Do you want to start or shall I? <laughs> are we live now? We because this is the now, H... Yes. So this is the question you asked me before we do that. So yes, this is the H2O podcast and I am Timothy Harvey. And I'm Jason Hunt. Welcome everybody. Thanks very much for being here. So before the show, Jason mentioned that he was really tired. A little bit. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that as a, as, as yeah, a rationale here tonight. That happens. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, we need to, we need to balance out and, you know, share responsibilities and whatnot and it's not always all sure. about me <laughs> oh my god no i i am i'm still recovering from the from last week when we lost power here so i've been playing catch up the whole time since just so. be happy you didn't lose power today where it's like a mazillion degrees oh, outside I know, I know i talked to my mother over the weekend they're in the hundred degrees this week down in dallas so i'm 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 starting. Yeah, my AC is on energy saver, yeah. right mode, because of course I have a window unit, which means I, <laughs> I pay a lot for my AC, <laughs> and it has been on most of the day. Yeah, we had talked about going down to Dallas for Fan Expo, which is coming up this weekend, this this coming weekend, and the the logistics of it and the cost of gas and all that other stuff had us thinking, well, probably not probably not going to happen right now and then right. when mom says yeah we're over 100 degrees this week i was like well okay maybe we dodged the bullet who knows anyway we haven't quite got to surface of the sun levels but not quite the we're sad thing is is that the older i get because we were talking about this um some one of the members of, of my team at work uh is sending their kid off to uh scout camp Oh yeah, uh, it's just they just went off today, so she's got the whole you know. I sent my kid off to camp for the first time thing, where it's like you know you get that as a parent, right? Where it's like the first time you send them off to that, you know, the kid's so excited, and you're like, yeah, what are you going to do for a week? Yeah, and I, you know, I so I I was a Boy Scout, and I I went to, to a lot of different camps. I had a great time doing that when I was a when I was a, a teenager, and. You know, it was summer, so it was hot out, and I was fine. And when I was in college, the apartment I lived in for most of the time I lived in Manhattan, Kansas, for when I went to K-State, was had no AC. Mm -hmm. And I survived. And now the older I get, the more I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, it's hot. <laughs> I <laughs> had melting. <laughs> when, uh, when I was in high school. Uh, we had marching band, of course, and, and the summer is when rehearsals start for that. And August and in those Texas... So, those so breathable outfits. Yeah, yeah. But August in Texas is not not conducive to comfort. Life. <laughs> yeah, but life. But we were in the middle of a heat wave. I mean, you had you had the heat wave in 1980, but late 80s, you know, 86, 87, we had another one. And it was, it, you know, 100, 105, 108, 110, 109. You know, it just we won right after the other day after day after day. We were out in the middle of it. So I, I, I don't miss it, although, you know, it's Texas. It's home. So, you know. It wouldn't be 
wouldn't be bad to get back there every now and again, but you know. Well, and you know, and and you're you are old enough to remember, just as I am, that period of time when there was this like, uh, and it still happens, but it's, it's much rarer than it uh, than it used to be. You'd have you'd have like sports practice, you know, football mm. a lot of times where people yeah. would you know kids would end up with with heat stroke, and there are kids who died because it's like okay, guys, yes practice is important and you want to be a better team but it helps if you're not actually dead breaking the kids yeah. well yeah a lot of that's hydrate you know the, oh you sure know, it's it's hydrate, well, it's hydrate, 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 hydrate. And, and exertion but i mean the you know there's this i you know this idea that you just keep going and it's like okay hang yeah. on sometimes you keep going sometimes you stop and have a drink in the shade <laughs> yeah. You send the kids home because it's too bloody hot out now. Yeah. <laughs> You're not helping. Oh, good times. Good times. Right. Oh, yeah. Those, those memories. my those... AC. I'm just, I'm good with staying inside <laughs> next to the, you know, it, it's right over there. There's yeah. a fan going right now. And it's just like, you know. See, and that's the thing. When, when, if you lose power during the winter, you know, we've we've got gas here, so you know we we've got gas heat, we've got a gas stove, so we we'd be okay losing power in the winter. Losing power in the summer, not so much. You know, it's there was like, a, well, the big ice the storms windows. that hit Wichita that um, in what two thousand three, I think two thousand three, two thousand four, mm-hmm. right before I moved to Kansas City. Right, and I was one of the uh, I lived in downtown wichita and um my power was knocked out and it was out for like four days um the uh it was beautiful i mean all this lovely everything was covered in ice it was oh, gorgeous sure. and it was bad but i you know i had no heat i eventually ended up uh my parents had heat so i actually went and stayed with them but um the first i stayed there two nights without power and you know i mean it was m- not comfortable but it was it was uh you know something you could do but eventually it was just i mean everything was frozen i mean the water was frozen everything i couldn't realistically stay there but um yeah i mean welcome to summer welcome to summer in the midwest welcome to summer in in that strip of the world yep and welcome to show death angel shadows east tennessee in the house uh East Tennessee, uh, what kind of what kind of heat are y'all having down there in Tennessee? That's I'm curious about that, because I'm I'm looking you know every, every now and again I look at the radar and I see because the tornado that came through here came through here right here. I mean the right. hi, the highway is just over yonder, and yep. I heard it pass because I had the windows open by then because you know that, and I heard it go by. It was like that's a weird sound. I wonder what that. Is. Oh, I bet I know what that is. Couldn't see it, yep. but I could hear it. Uh, Death Angel said ninety plus today. Humid. Ugh, ugh. It's it's not the heat. It's the humidity that gets you. All right. So sometimes it's the heat. Sometimes. It's the heat. <laughs> so uh, a casual mention last week during our conversation at some point somebody uh tim i think you were the one that that said something about it that we should be talking about iconic moments and uh so i thought well why not we'll go ahead and and do that because we didn't have anything else to talk about tonight 
<clears throat> I mean, although since then, since then we had this this fascinating story about um, uh, is is it is it Google? Yeah, uh, it's a researcher at Google who who thinks that that one of their programs has developed AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and, sentient and huh? It's sentient. Yeah, yeah, and and just this, um, I mean the the reaction from from other people in the in the AI research um, has been has been fascinating, um, and and reading the the transcripts uh, of that conversation on it, it that that's a topic at some point that because of course AI is this you know we've had this big you know the machines are going to take over and the AI is coming, yeah. and yet the history of the exploration of, of artificial intelligence we always you know, go back to the turing test um which everybody seems to know but very few people actually understand much about the turing test it seems but um there's it's a it's a fascinating thing and and for you and i have more than once talked about sort of just you know how technology has changed things and and good and bad and that sort of stuff most of um, but but the interesting thing is is that here's an example of of a a real AI thing happening, and the interesting discussion about what's really going on, yeah. and and the fascinating thing about you know consciousness and and sentience and things like that. So maybe maybe you know, well we're you know, actually we, uh, on Wednesday. On Live from the Bunker, Dave Luxton is going to be my guest to talk about this very thing. You're welcome to join us. But uh, he's he's in that field mm-hmm. and has written a couple of books along those lines and has done some research and stuff into that. So he's he's got some insights, and we're going to talk about that uh, on Wednesday's Bunker. So uh, you, you're, you can... You can drop in. You can jump in. If I yeah. if if it's possible, I, I think I'd like to drop in on that one. There is, I mean, because it's, I had a really neat, uh, it was a really neat thread that I read that took me to an article, and I can't remember who it's by. I'll have to look that up. Um, but he's also in the, the guy who's also in the field, and he he explained why this is not the case. Right, yeah. this is not sentience. This is not, um, <clears throat> and pointed out that even if it was, <clears throat> this AI is is. Uh, uh, lying right to you, which doesn't bode well. <laughs> so this would be your first flag that you, you, you know. So right. I mean, it, it's it's fascinating stuff. I mean, and and, and technology is cool. Well, um, and my can thinking, often be very cool. But. My thinking is sentient or not, if it makes a decision based on, you know, whatever parameters that help it simulate emotions or whatnot. And if it makes some sort of an uh, of a decision to take action for self-preservation, let's say, it wouldn't really matter if it's sentient or not. It's still making the decision for self-preservation and it becomes a threat. Well, how are you going to tell? Who cares? Well, so there is a, there, there becomes a, a so because we've got to get to our subject uh, tonight. Because <laughs> we do this. You, if yeah. you've joined us on the show before, you're aware <laughs> that we're like, tangent over here. Let's go well, over there. It anyway. kind of goes into a couple, of, a couple of moments because... Colossus, the Forbin Project. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You know, HAL exactly. 9000. You know, exactly. is he um, sending or not? 
but the 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 interesting question is is you're right is doesn't matter what is consciousness and sentience and being able to react to stimuli Mm -hmm. right because i mean so so many of these these uh ais and ai exists now it's all over the place it's a it's a very broad term. I think we make well, a decision. Uh, we need to make a distinction between AI and machine learning, because machine learning has a tendency to go off on its own, and you set the you set the thing in motion, and then it starts learning on its own, and it starts learning things that you didn't anticipate it was going to learn. It gets a little out of control. Well, um, I'm trying to remember. I think uh, uh, some some show or it's been more than one but of course there's the whole you know how do you how do you drive a, an artificial intelligence insane connect them into the internet um but right. they've instantly become evil uh but well the, i've said for years you know as soon as google buys facebook they start reading everybody's posts that's it you know that's skynet yeah. but the thing is is that the, the biggest argument against this particular thing one of the biggest arguments against this particular thing being uh actually being sentient being having you know true true artificial intelligence is that it's really a uh it's an emulator it's yeah. a, it's a it's a chat emulator it really on steroids um and what it's doing is that it is it is literally because it's programmed to learning from what you ask it how yeah. to answer the question which in some respects is learning is part of and and we all we function that way that's how he, people function yeah we learn how to respond to those around us but at the same time that doesn't make it alive in the sense or conscious in the sense that that we think we think people are yeah Mindy says so. she read a short story about a computer that started writing fan fiction because fans got it wrong we're not talking about Star Trek tonight. <laughs> no, but welcome, welcome to fandom. But you have, you know, you have the Hal nine, uh, Hal nine thousand. You know, his "I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can't do that." You've got that moment, and that kind of starts our our path here for iconic moments because, you know, his his reaction, you know, that whole open the pod bay doors. Everybody knows "I'm sorry, Dave," even if they mm-hmm. haven't seen the movie. Because right. it's become part of the cultural zeitgeist, you know, and, 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 and along those same lines, you have Johnny Five, for example. Mm-hmm. Johnny Five is alive. No disassemble. You know, some people know who Johnny Five is bef- without even having ever seen the movie. It's right. these it's these moments, uh, these things that transcend the story that it's a part of and that's what we're looking at tonight and I, that's a good way to to start in on this i guess is where the where the robots live oh we go all the way back to to metropolis where you've got that that scene where maria transforms mm-hmm. i mean that i mean even if you've You've seen that that because it, it's images mean, showing up in advertising, and if you're not familiar with it, it's it's this you know if you've not seen if you've not seen Metropolis, folks, you got to see Metropolis. It's one of the great silent films, um, an early science fiction film. Um, it's a dystopian future story. It's a a 
authoritarian government story. Mm-hmm. It's a, a rebels fighting against the empire story. It's an artificial intelligence robot story. And it's got this great moment where you just see this robot transform into a woman. And that, that image has been uh, reproduced for advertising. It's been echoed in, in other science fiction television and, and, and film. Yeah. And it is just, I mean, it's, it's one of the great early science fiction moments that has, I mean, it, there's a reason Metropolis is one of the great classics. Uh, of science fiction and again if you haven't if you haven't seen it i highly recommend checking it out there are some really uh if you ever get a chance to see it on the big screen a lot of times they will have a live music soundtrack accompanying it Mm -hmm. yep and those shows are just amazing um and uh there's been a couple of different soundtracks that have been composed for it over the years by by really talented musicians um, and uh, it's actually one of my favorite black and white films uh, and silent movies. I remember uh, a, a few, a couple, two, three, well, I, I guess it's longer ago than that. It was um, four years ago now. We saw The Empire Strikes Back that way with the mm-hmm. live orchestra and stuff, and that's, a, that's an interesting way to see it, definitely. Uh, yes, well, De- and, and Death Angels, that is a silent, uh, that is a silent picture. What well, what year was that? 1927? Was um, it 27? I, I can't remember 27. 27. Uh, 27 was also, I think, the year of, of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which um, is uh, literally in my like top five favorite films of all time. Um, it is it is a beautiful piece of artwork as a, as a graphic designer. Um, yeah, twenty seven. It was it was hugely influential for me, and it is a. There are moments in that and it's it's a fascinating film because it's actually one of the earliest horror films. It's also one of the earliest psychological thriller films. Mm-hmm. It's also got one of the earliest twist endings in in film. Um, but uh, there's these great moments where you see Cesar. Um, who is this long, angular character dressed in black who moves wrong. And so you see this great, just every as he's moving through this um, just art deco, crazy proportioned, you know, Lovecraftian nightmare of a city. And it's just gorgeous. But it's just, I mean, it's so, it's so, um, um, visually dynamic that again it's another thing where you've seen this happen again and again they've this sort of imagery has has echoed down and there are filmmakers who have pulled from from that style of of shooting a villain um or that kind of just tall creepy angular monster Mm -hmm. um got this is where it came from yeah well, and and you talk about silent films and and those moments when you look at Phantom of the Opera, for example, mm-hmm. with Lon Chaney, when she pulls the mask off and he's ah, that. I mean, without oh. ever even having seen the movie, people know that shot. And just imagine how terrifying that was for audiences back in the day. Yeah, this is when the. You know, we were so used to seeing the incredible special effects that we get now, but that stuff just didn't exist. This was all practical work. And that makeup was incredibly uncomfortable for him to wear. 
And just imagine how the, uh, the, the first time you saw that in the theater, people were scre- literally screaming mm-hmm. because they were, it was that shocking an image. It's almost like the, there's a story out there, and I can't remember where I heard it, but in the very, 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 very early days of motion picture, the train where you had you had people in the in the tent because mm-hmm. they didn't have theaters they, they they were in a tent and they were sitting there and you had the screen and they projected the film onto the screen and it was a film of a train coming towards the camera mm-hmm. and people absolutely flipped out and panicked and ran because here comes a train toward them the train's going to hit them uh, but yeah, it, you don't get those same kind of visceral moments. I mean, you get them, but it's a different kind of right. moment than it was in those early days because we it's didn't a, have anything to compare it to at that point. Yeah, it there was, was no frame of reference for it, yeah. and and that really made. And I think that some of the stuff that's very iconic from the early days of cinema is is definitely because the impact of those moments were because it was the first time you did it. Yeah. You look at like uh, Nosferatu and just every time you see a shadow crossing a wall, I mean, mm-hmm. that stuff is, mm-hmm. that stuff has been, has been emulated again and again and again and again yeah. what, in, in all kinds of genres. But that first time you're just watching him move and it's just, and that stuff still holds up. Because it was, you know, incredibly well crafted in the first place. And yes, we don't, we aren't, we aren't necessarily frightened by it anymore. But the, but the power of the imagery yeah. still works. Well, yeah. and and you have, you know, you talk about firsts, and you know, there's there's all of these, you know, the Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind and all of these, all. Um, um, Oh, my brain just fizzled. Um, the day the earth stood still, you know, mm-hmm. Gort, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. Yeah, it, everybody knows it. We all know what it is. Half half the planet doesn't know what it's from. Well, and you, and you end up getting a, a great callback to that, and of course, in Evil Dead, um, the third Evil Dead film, mm. where you know, Ash doesn't know how <laughs> he knows it. He just doesn't know how to say it yeah and i mean it's it's played for last but it still holds up um stop motion animation had been around but you look at like king kong yeah you look at the original king kong and and just the fact that that stop motion animation still holds up really well the skeleton soldiers from oh, yeah. was it jason and the argonauts yeah, anything from Ray Harryhausen, but those skeleton soldiers—they that sticks with you because that was the that was one of the very first times that it was that involved and that intricate, and it still holds up. I mean, Harryhausen is the gold standard, and it, even even today, when you're doing your CGI and garbage and whatnot, Harryhausen is still the one you look at as as the standard as the model to to well you follow you look at, you look at the the first brendan fraser mummy film there's a huge fight scene toward the end of the film where where uh, rick o'connell is is fighting all these 
you know, mummies. Mm -hmm. And the, you see the film as it was shot, and there's nothing there. Yeah. He is doing a really fantastic fight scene against air. And it was very well choreographed. He has a great job in it. And they basically sat there and went, we're going to put Harryhausen, um, and including the same level of little bits of humor that Harryhausen would often sprinkle in there, yeah. where you'd have like, you know, a skull do something silly as it was lopped off. Um, it was these little tiny touches that gave all this stuff this character. And so when they made that scene, it was like, we're making a tribute to Harryhausen. That's what this is. It's entirely what this scene is meant to be. Which is what you do when you have the opportunity, right? And it actually is one of the more effective, um, I think, there's a lot There's a lot to really enjoy about that film. And I'm, I'm actually really pleased that a lot of folks seem to be coming back to it. As, as silly as the film is, it's a rollicking adventure movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think more people are rediscovering The Mummy mainly because of Brendan Fraser, not the fact that it's The Mummy. I think well, I yeah, think they're coming back that. to him and his no. resurgence in popularity. I mean, everything that he's gone through in his career, and now he's back and he's acting again and he's working. And he's still, by all accounts, this nice guy. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you, you just, yep. you know, he's playing the bad guy in, in Batgirl. He's the villain. But you're sitting there going... Brendan Fraser is playing a villain because I mean, you just well, can't see it because he's such a he's such a, a marshmallow. I mean, he's he's a well, he's and, a and I think that's that's harmless one of the reasons I'm, I'm really pleased about it is because we have seen characters be, quote unquote, cast against type yeah. into these kinds of roles who are primarily known for being, you know, comedic actors or or just not, you know, they're known for um teen romance movies heath ledger um you know um or or serious dramas he's heath ledger mm -hmm. you know and so or jack nicholson or michael keaton or any of these folks where it's like this is who you're casting are you sure and fans to sit there and go especially you know, we've talked we've talked more than once about the the whole michael keaton as batman are you insane yeah reaction that that <laughs> happened and and consistent not well not consistently let's be fair there are mistakes but a lot of times we it's it's been no this actually was a very good choice because it gives those actors a chance to do something different and quite frankly most actors are very happy to do something different than what they're known for because it's called acting <laughs> it's it's, yep. it's what they're there for um and um you know a lot of actors who are known for playing just one kind of role actually have done we talked about character actors um, who've done so many different kinds of roles, but they're known for one thing. And they're like, well, this is the thing I'm successful at. I, you know, it's not the thing, you know, it's not necessarily my favorite role to play, but right. hey, people like me in it. So I sure, remember sure. seeing a, seeing an article about DeForest Kelly one time. And this was after Star Trek II, I think. Might have been around Star Trek Three. I can't remember exactly. But D. Kelly got started in westerns, and mm -hmm. he was usually the villain in the westerns, mm -hmm. or he was the villain's henchman in the westerns. He was he was always right. the bad guy, until he played Doctor McCoy, and then after that, 
He got typecast. He was Dr. McCoy from then on out. And and he actually kind of didn't get any more work except as Dr. McCoy. And out of everybody in the original cast, I think he was the the one who was the most philosophical about it. Mm. And he's he's basically just resigned to it. He's like, well... I'm Dr. McCoy. What am I going to do about it? You know, and, and it's okay. That's the role I play from here on out. And he, and he, by all accounts, was fine with it and, and never, never gritched or grumbled or, or griped about it. He was Dr. McCoy from then on out. And okay, that's, that's my role. Right. But he was right. pretty much retired after that anyway. But, you know, still the fact that he would just, he just leaned into it and accepted it. When you you could have you could have those ty- those people where it's like oh I wish I'd never well, taken you know, that Leonard, part. Leonard Nimoy fought against it, and 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 uh, you know there were a lot of actors who we we know very well though there are a lot of Star Trek actors who really struggled to find work outside of those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the modern the modern Trek really from Next Generation on, while those actors are often associated with those roles. Um, they haven't run into quite the same. We don't do typecasting the same way that it used to be done. I mean, you would, no. if there are still folks who get locked into that kind, those kinds of roles, but we don't see as often anymore the I folks think, who are just like they play one role and nobody cares and nobody ever wants to see them play yeah, anything else. But in the eighties and nineties, when you had Star, you know, three Star Trek shows, and you had Stargate, and you had Farscape, and all these others. Everybody shared cast. <laughs> I mean, it was like, uh, you know, Marina Sirtis shows up on everything, and right. you know, my, uh, Ben Browder, Ben Browder, crossover, yeah. and, and Michael Shanks, and yeah, you know, it, it, you had that where, and and still a little bit now where you have this stable of actors and used to be it was here are the paramount people here are the mgm people you know they were under contract with the studio now it's here are all the sci-fi actors somebody from over here use them oh hey robert picardo's not busy this week put him in there you know john delancey call him up what's he doing you know and, and and it was you saw the same people on all the different shows well, and I think a lot of that came out of the whole, the fact a lot of this stuff was was cable shows produced for, you know, the sci-fi channel or mm-hmm. or TNT or, you know, these these specific cable channels. And now we're getting this in this era of prestige television, right? So you got these series where they're being these big budget science fiction and fantasy series. You know, they're attracting a wider range of of actors so it gives more opportunities to see different faces yeah maybe less opportunities for some of these folks to be the leads in these in these shows though so i mean it's giveth and taketh away right yeah it's a trade um but um so one of the things that i was i was looking at some of these these you know various and sundry lists right there's a million lists oh right right right? yeah and one of the things i i I noticed especially on the horror side of things is that so many of the films that are are or these iconic scenes that people talk about are this are the opening scene to the movie Mm -hmm. 
because it sets the tone. And if the film can maintain that, these are films that go on to become <clears throat> horror classics. And that's not always the case. Some of the films are the, the, the iconic scene is later. But for a lot of films, it's right there at the beginning. You look at something like the Scream franchise. Yeah. That opening scene, Drew Barrymore, big name star, right there. And if you've not seen the original Scream, I guess I'm not going to spoil it for you <laughs> at this point. How you don't know. Let's say something happens. Something, uh, an event occurs. Yes. And it sets the tone for the entire film. And, and it also is, um, it, it, it was a echo of, of course, the classic scene from Psycho, mm-hmm. where you have this big name star, the biggest name star in the movie. And again, something occurs. Yes. Now, it doesn't happen right away. And that that's a... One of the one of the great things about Psycho is how long it actually just lets it build, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think that there's there's an argument to be made, and I did folks, you know, some folks are just like, give it to me now, but there's this argument, and I, I've always been a fan of the slow burn, yeah, and and take yeah. take the time to um, take the time to establish the world that you're living in, yeah, and and um, then you know yank the rug out. But so you, but but some of these really just amazing, you know, horror films—they grab you right away, and they you can you can forgive a drop in in the tension if if they've ratcheted that up right right, you know, your 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 heart is pounding minutes into the movie, and then you're like, okay, I needed I needed. The next 15 minutes could just be nothing because I got to breathe. <laughs> you know? Well, another another slow burn that's in that horror category is Aliens. Or not Aliens, oh, yeah. Alien, the first one. Alien, yeah. Well, Alien's a haunted house story in space. Yeah. <clears throat> and and you get that, I mean, you get an, an underlying tension between the characters because they don't always get along. And that sort of adds to the tension of the atmosphere of the setting, but not mm-hmm. so much. I mean, it, it, it's, it's underneath, it's subtextually, and you don't quite pick up on it until now we're dropping down to investigate a spaceship. Mm-hmm. And now what's it going to do? And, of course, you've got uh, uh, Cart- Angela Cartwright's character sitting there going, I don't know, I think this is a bad idea. I think this is a really bad idea. And you're adding to, and then suddenly... You know, well, up, to that know point, real thing. up to that point, it's a science fiction. It's a straight science fiction movie. Yeah, there's no there really. I mean, there's tension, but it's not really a horror movie until it becomes a horror movie. And you look at the thing. Uh, there's another great example of that. You know, it takes the time to give you a sense of who these characters are, even though the film does very little actual character development. Mm-hmm. It establishes because got a lot of characters to work with. It establishes who these characters are enough. Yeah. That you, but up until, you know, the paddle scene, um, you're not really knowing what kind of movie this is going to be. Yeah. I mean, you've got hints. There's there's moments where it really, you know, it, it tells you. But I mean, that and the chestburster scene from Alien are just two of the 
two great shock horror moments that um, I think are just burned into the, into the minds of anyone who's ever seen the film. Yeah. And I think some of that, too, I mean, when you look at William Hurt reprising that, that scene in Spaceballs, for example, and, you know, the the time how, oh, no. how much how much to, i know right <laughs> y- you think about the iconic moments yeah they have the impact and all of that but you also have those that are you know we'll quote them to death they become memes on the internet uh i mean you know mentioned ga- uh, aliens game over man you know that oh, right that yeah. thing i mean lines from these films become their own thing they take on a life of their own and yeah, yeah some of them, you don't even some I, I guarantee you there are people who who don't even know what the source material is for some of that stuff i mean because yeah. they, they stand on their own as being funny lines well and dave says there's there's something to be said for bit parts we talked about character actors last week bill paxton was was a great one for for that kind of thing because you know he he would just lean into whatever part that he had but what's the line there's there there are no small parts there's just small actors yeah yeah oh yeah be afraid well of course the the original fly you know the words help me help me yeah um, which have also been have ended up being parodied and 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 run with um Some of the stuff on the horror side, though, they save for the end of the film, like Rosemary's Baby. Sure. I mean, there's there's a lot of tension throughout the movie. There's there's a sense of dread. There's a sense of doom. Yeah. But you're you're the the thing that everybody remembers, and the film thing that's become the parodied part is, of course, the final moments of the film where the child is revealed, and um. And it's another one of those great films where you don't actually see anything. Mm-hmm. You see a lot less than you think you do. Um, um, but yeah, okay, so The Exorcist, The Exorcist, the pea soup scene, yeah. the head spinning scene, um, the not so much the crawling down the stairs scene, because of course that was not part of the original cut. Um, although of, of, of so many of the Exorcist scenes that have become, they're so ubiquitous, they've lost their on their Impact. own they've lost their power to startle yeah if you're if you're watching the film and you're uh, even all this time later and it really immersed in it those moments can still be really effective but on their own they've almost become parodies and cliches but that backwards crawl down the 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 stairs is just so genuine it, it's one of those things where human beings aren't supposed to move that way yeah and so it still has, it's it still, the first time I saw that, I was just like, okay, that's wrong. There's, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned babies. There is, uh, it, these, these iconic moments and these moments that have impact are not limited to television and movies. There is a radio play. I want to say it was an episode of suspense. Um, Tony Randall was in the cast. The Thing That Cries in the Night. And it was a mystery. It was a murder mystery. And 
Tony Randall's character and a couple of other people, they their car breaks down. They end up at this house. You know, the, you know, the, the typical scenario where your investigators end up. It, you know, it's it's a Scooby-Doo scenario, right? You know, mm-hmm. the car breaks down, and here's this old spooky mansion with all of these weird, creepy, mysterious characters, right? And every time you hear a baby cry, somebody dies. Because there's no baby in the house. But once it's established what that sound means in the show, it definitely takes on this creep factor every time else you hear it because mm-hmm. it's there's a I don't know if they did something to it, you know, as, as far as like massaging the sound because the first time, oh yeah, I hear a baby cry. Somebody's dead. Now baby cries somebody's dead. You have the psychological filter but also, I think they might have done something to kind of tweak that sound effect as oh, you go probably. on yeah. to make it even more, you know, there's a little bit more reverb, there's a little bit more echo on it, a little, just you, just a little something, and it just kind of grabs your spine and just does a little twist. You, mm-hmm. Because it's all audio. Right. You know, yeah. because it's a radio play, because your 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 brain fills in. It's like Hitchcock says, your brain fills in the gaps, mm-hmm. and it's very 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 effective. I highly recommend it. The thing that cries in the night, I think, is what it was called. So one of the things that, um, as a as an avid podcast listener, and and a lot of I listen to a lot of fiction podcasts, of you know actual stories. One of the, some of the most effective ones are very conscious of the soundscapes they are building because they know how much that can really shape the tension they're building. And of course, the, the moments they really want to scare you, they want to make sure that you have been primed properly. Yeah. I Love a Mystery um, was the show, by the way. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, again, throwing out just a couple of recommendations, um, the Magnus Archives, which is a British podcast that has finished. Um, they've got a, hundreds of episodes, or 200 episodes, something like that. And and sound design is incredibly important to the show, and it's, a, it's almost a character in its own right, and I encourage you to check that one out. Um, so, movies out. Um, and reviews are definitely mixed. But you go back to the first Jurassic Park, and there are a number of moments that are very iconic, but the one that I think probably hit everyone the hardest, the moment that the theater sat there and gasped, of course, is the moment that Alan Grant is gasping, because welcome to Jurassic Park, here's this moment. And I think that, and and I have not seen the new film. I haven't either. Um, you know what? I, I've, I've read a few reviews because I don't mind reading reviews ahead of time of seeing a film. That, that, and, and people have been like, you know, I've seen the criticisms and things like that. Um, and overall, if I, want, if I was going to sit there and make a sweeping statement, the problem with every sequel of Jurassic Park has been 
the and, and this okay, the, folks, this is how this is what happens <laughs> with movies. Okay, they have to build and make it bigger than the one before it. Right, that's just how it works. Right, right. Um, if you're not excited about the current phase of Marvel movies, recognize the fact that they spent a whole lot of time building up to the Infinity War saga, and no matter what they did, they're starting from a different yeah. level because. You know, that, that's how this works. And that's the danger of, the, of that kind of storytelling. You see it on television series. You see it in movies. You see it in books uh, in comics. It's 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 a storytelling risk. Mm -hmm. It's but like you it's like own... your lead characters getting together romantically. Once once they consummate the relationship, the show dies. Yeah, I, it's it's so it's a real so it's a real challenge and kudos to the to the shows and 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 comics and books and 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 movies where they attempt to go on and find a new way to keep that stuff engaging mm -hmm. but it's a risk right yeah but sometimes it comes down to there's really no sense of wonder after jurassic park yeah then it just becomes that, a monster movie the moment that you know that that you had this incredible moment where a man who has dedicated his life to archaeology. This is this is and, and my dad was an archaeologist for for several years, and and my first memories are actually from digs. So I've got I've always got this fondness for the archaeology, you know, the, the character who's the archaeologist. It's just wired into me. No. But you had this incredible moment where he sees something he knows he could never see. And it's 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 heartbreakingly beautiful, and the entire audience that was there for the preview night in the movie theater I worked for, standing room only. We violated so many fire codes, <laughs> and the entire audience went, <gasps> yeah. And once you've had that, again, it's an incredibly huge challenge to recapture that. Or, and so or I understand even, why you don't not necessarily even, not even recapturing it, but just replicating it, uh, yeah. you know, because, you know, it's like you talking about you know, everything's got to go bigger, go bigger. It's like sci-fi snob says here, you know, now every star destroyer can destroy a planet. And well, if you're you going to have name your thing a star destroyer, then I mean, come on. But you talk about those iconic moments that first that first shot in Star Wars mm -hmm. back when it was Star Wars. And that Star Destroyer comes over the camera and, and just keeps going. And that defined a whole generation of filmmaking. Oh, that sure. That one shot. And, and it, was, it was one of those moments for that good stays and for with Ill. you. And, it's, and, and you never have that moment again. You can have different moments. You can have different aha moments right. and different iconic moments. You know, when, you know, Ripley comes out in the in the Caterpillar cargo thing and says, get away from her. You know, that those you have those moments. Mm -hmm. But you can never have that moment again. Well, because it's it's you. The first time is the first time. Yeah. You don't get to have. The second time you see it time it's that's not a thing well it is a thing but I mean, you know what i mean yeah so the the um 
and and quite frankly, I have found something to enjoy in all the Jurassic Park movies, if nothing else from a visual sense. I think story-wise, they've tried to throw too many things in, and they started doing that in, in Jurassic Park too. Yeah. Um, and, and but the thing is, is I've I've managed to find something to enjoy in all of them because. I like dinosaur movies. Yeah, I mean, but there's know. not is you know, Snob says it here. The alien only bursts from the chest once. There's right. only well, you can only do that one time. And yeah. however many times you see that movie, you're only going to experience it once. Mm-hmm. And I and I will say one of the few things, the very few things I can praise uh, Ridley Scott going back with with uh his Prometheus and, and Covenant movies. I have real problems with those, and I'm, that's a different show. But um, <laughs> I there, still haven't a, seen them. I need to watch them, and then we can talk about them. I mean, they, they, again, there's there's interesting moments. There's a whole lot of... Both films have a lot of really interesting ideas that are squandered, which is really unfortunate considering the people involved. But anyway, there is a moment in Prometheus where they do a really pretty effective riff on the chestburster scene. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the really good moments in the film that has actual real tension and, and um, a, sense of, a sense of impending doom. Um, and it's shot very well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's that first time, even, even in films I don't like, so I, I I have more. I'm, if, if again, if you've seen our show, you've more than one. You've probably heard me talk about the fact that I think Blair Witch Project is a terrible movie. Yeah. And I you know, and you know, it's the best thing I can say about it is that it is an amazing marketing campaign, and and <laughs> it helped revitalize horror at a time when horror films were really pretty stagnant. And I will give it the credit for that. Yeah. But you get to the end of that movie. And I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm. I'm not spoiling it because if you haven't seen it, tough. I'm. I'm not spoiling it because it's been. <laughs> it's been reproduced everywhere and mocked a lot of places. This is a terrible ending. It's a. It's a. I mean, I was sitting. I was sitting, in, the the house with with my girlfriend at the time, and she was in her office, uh, studying for for class, and I was on the couch watching this movie. And I saw it, and she heard me yell at the screen. <laughs> yell at, say certain words. And you know, if I if if throwing something would was would have been a thing I would do, I would have thrown something because it's it's such a terrible ending. And people were like, "Oh my god!" And I'm going, "No, this is dumb. What is wrong?" <laughs> but the thing is is that for the folks it was an effective ending for, yeah. they're never going to forget that moment. And the folks like me, who thought it was incredibly stupid, you know what? I'm never going to forget that moment either. Right, right. So, But we have yeah. very different reaction. How does it end? Um, well. Do you want it? Do we give it? Do you, do you give it away? Spoiler alert. For the Blair the Witch, Witch Project. The wins. <laughs> There, it's it's funny. I have a, a story. You talk about throwing things at the TV. So when I was when I was up in uh, St. Joseph's making TV commercials, 
I can't even remember who this client was, but uh, I think it had something to do with cable or satellite or something. And I got to shoot somebody throwing a brick at a TV. And it was rather satisfying. Of course, we could only do it once. <laughs> Get right. it right the first time, right? Because you can't you can't replicate that because you only got one TV. So uh, I'll, I can top that. Um, so I worked. I was the production designer, art director for a um, uh, a film here in town that was hopefully going to turn into something else, and it, it unfortunately didn't. Right. But uh, it was science fiction and really effects, heavy effects work. Um, and uh, Paradox City. Did Jim ever finish that? So Paradox City, no. The um, um, the director went on to do other things. Of course, he was very, a very, very, just incredibly talented special effects artist. And so he's gone on. And he's he's been doing that. But he his goal was, of course, to turn this into a series, and didn't get a chance to do that. But I got to be the I got to be the art director for it, and had a fantastic crew. Um, but we had a severed arm off of that here mm-hmm. um cut off by a laser of course. of course um and it was holding this key and it, 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 it and even severed it would not release the key and it was falling from the sky right in the, in the context of the story and it lands on um uh, the hood of this car and our heroes are able to grab it and continue their thing right and I'm the art director. Somebody's got to throw this thing at a car that's moving. I am not. The director and I (laughs) talked about this. It's like, okay, look, if something goes wrong, I don't want it to be like a PA who is just going to be like traumatized by the fact that something, because this is probably a one and done shot. Yeah, because you only got the one the one prop, and maybe we get two, but it's probably only a one. And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. So, so car is driving down the road, mm. and I toss it. <laughs> so there's an arc, and there's car moving. And it's it's a substantial prop. It has some weight. Right. Car isn't driving that fast, but the angle is just wrong enough <laughs> that it cracks the windshield. We got the shot. Yeah. It looks great. I broke a windshield. <laughs> it was the director's car. It was but, a risk. We knew it. We knew it was a potential risk, but we were like, "Oh!" And yeah. it's like, "Yeah, better it was me to do that." Sure. Than some, than you know. Yeah, some PA would have been mortified and and <sighs> had dropped out of the industry forever after that. Because yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that can easily make you go. I I gotta go now. Yeah, that reminds me that it was funny because I was I was just telling Mindy today. There was a TV commercial for Merrill Lynch, 
back in the day. We were talking about um, the bull in the china shop phrase, right? Mm-hmm. There's a there's a TV sh- there's a TV commercial for Merrill Lynch. I want to say it was back late eighties, early nineties is when this came out. And the scene is the bull walking through various different glass displays full of china. I mean, it's a literal bull in a china shop. And this Uh is back before CG. This is back before models. Actual real bull in a real scenario with all of this china, all all of this stuff. And bull does it perfectly every single take, right? Wanders through, does his path, follows his path, does whatever. When it's time to wrap and start packing things away, that's when the crew knocks things over and causes tens of thousands of dollars of damage in fine china. (laughs) It wasn't the bull that did it. It was the crew. Uh yeah, those things happen. Well, and we haven't even we haven't even touched on on some really amazing scenes in films that were otherwise not good. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've talked about how how much the potential really was like squandered in Superman Returns, and how Brandon Ruth really actually made a really fantastic Superman. Yeah, but that scene with you know the airplane. That whole sequence where he's saving the plane um, is really a fantastic sequence that the rest of the film just doesn't live up to. Yeah, that is that is a fantastic sequence. It absolutely Or is. you look at something like um, um, the Wolverine, Wolverine Origins, where mm-hmm. the opening sequence is this great, you know, historical... Wolverine and Sabretooth fighting through, you know, the traveling through history. It's a fantastic scene. Yeah. In a really bad movie. <laughs> a complete waste of Lou Schreiber. The bull's name was Merrill. His understudy well, was, was Lynch. There's an article in People magazine from 1982. Um, the bull that cla- that that crashes into in the Schlitz malt liquor bowl, you know, crashes through the wall. Mm-hmm. His name is Jekyll. Well, that's just <laughs> dangerous right there. Right? It's just that's just that's just asking for trouble. Yeah. So there's, um, there's I've I've seen I've seen on some of these lists where they actually talk about the you mentioned Jekyll. Um the Dr. Jekyll scene in the Tom Cruise mummy as being a a really great scene in a bad movie. And I'm like, no, that's a bad scene too. I'm yeah. sorry. It's just not a good it's not. <laughs> nice try. Yeah. There's um. There's yeah. just here. Here. Here's the the story. Um. Uh. They spent a month hand feeding because somebody was somebody going through the chat saying this wasn't a real three year old bull, uh, leading him through a maze of crates and hay bales that simulated the china shop after being dyed a photogenic Sorel color. He went before the cameras, time and again, sauntering around genuine and expensive Baccarat glass in Wedgwood, China. In 16 hours of shooting, Merrill did not so much as chip a teacup. 
a $3,500 candelabrum was shattered, but after the bull had left, a set decorator dropped it. So it's kind of gotten a little bit bigger in the telling of how much damage was done, but sure, yeah, right. but yeah, the bull, the bull never, uh, never, never damaged anything. It's uh, mm-hmm. anything, but yeah, that plane sequence in Superman Returns is is well, one and there's of the scenes best. that there's scenes that are in films that it's it's easy to forget. Um, you, uh, we we've talked on Good Morning Multiverse about the the new exorcist movie and however you feel about that and it's really easy to remember of course that, that the first exorcist film was so iconic and how bad people regard exorcist 2 mm-hmm. and exorcist 3 can really get overlooked and i've, I've mentioned it a few times on the show that yeah. I mean, george e scott is so good in that movie it's one of i think two horror films he's ever he was in um and but there's a there's a scene in that film involving a static shot down a hallway which still has one of the biggest twisted jump scares. Um, and it is so well handled because it just makes you wait. <laughs> and and you know something bad is going to happen. And yeah. it makes you wait. And the camera doesn't move. It just sits there. And as an audience member, you're going, okay. And now something happens. No? Okay. Um, now? No? Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Exorcist 3 is is, is a, a unsung unsung gem, actually, of, of horror. Um, and uh, I, I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, uh, the, the ending? There, but, is, there is an iconic scene that is an ending. It is the end of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, well, yes. Yes. Where he's on the beach, and there's what's left of the Statue of Liberty. And what's fascinating is that you look at something like when Tim Burton went back to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so he got the Burton version. Actually ends a lot closer to the ending of the book. Right. It's a fairly faithful, we're given, given degree of faithful, and we've talked about that adaptation stuff before. And yet, the reaction from people watching it was like, "Yeah." <laughs> now, part of that came out of the fact that I'm sorry, there are things that that Mark Wahlberg is very entertaining is, but you cannot cast him. You cannot cast him as a scientist. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not smart enough to to play to be a scientist in the real life. I'm saying that our perception of him because of the parts that he plays and how he comes across on screen, it makes the lift well, to believability. It's Marky Mark. I mean, what are you going to do There's with that? that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, between that and the happening, I mean, just don't don't give him those roles, guys. Yeah. He's he's not he's not he's just not yeah. geared for him. Uh, Death Angel says they're here from Poltergeist. Uh, yes, that's that's yes. a good, that's an excellent moment. Well, here's Johnny, of course. Yeah, the, the, from, and from, the thing is, is that the the ex the <laughs> that's a movie that has a bunch of them. Oh yeah, yeah. If you see two little girls in little dresses standing in a hallway, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see blood pouring out of a 
of an, out of a doorway, yep. whether it's an elevator or not. Yeah. Uh, but here's Johnny, of course, is, you know, um, 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 I see dead people, which, of course, has been parodied everywhere. Right. Um, Snob's asking if you've seen the documentary on Alien from a few years ago. I'm going to say probably yes, but how long ago? I don't know. There's a... Oh, yeah, Videodrome. And they, well, Videodrome so they, they live... live they live as an example and, and scanners is another one right these are mm-hmm. these are b movies right these are these are you know they live as i mean look at the cast of the film i mean in you know as much as we love they live Roddy piper come on yeah um although you know greatest greatest fight scene ever longest one of the longest fight scenes ever there are there are fight scenes in the matrix that are shorter than that than that well bullet time there's another one um but uh you know the whole you know reveal with the glasses and all that stuff i mean and that's been you know there's there's simpsons episodes that have riffed on that i mean you know invasion of the body snatchers Yeah, well, and, and the the thing is that we've had like, what, four or five different adaptations of that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them and better than others. Of, yeah, but that's the one we remember. Yeah, because it it they did that so so well, and it's got. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it was the time. Maybe it was the way it was shot. Just the the visual texture of that movie. But yeah, it's it's really held up in ways that some of the some of the decent remakes of that yeah. there's some that are pretty decent uh, MS um, have is, not necessarily held up. MS is asking which version that would have been from 1978. Yeah, nine? Donald Sutherland. Leonard, um, Leonard Nimoy was in it. Yeah, Donald um, Sutherland. Um, well, let me look that up here real quick. Um, on the on the other side of things, though. One one uh, iconic moment that we haven't touched on yet is is Indiana Jones shooting the swordsman. I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a character defining moment there for him. Mm-hmm. Nineteen seventy eight. Nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it genuinely still holds up. Um, a lot of a lot of seventies horror and, and eighties horror feels really dated, and although it definitely feels like a period piece in terms of the costume and you know the the production design of the film, mm-hmm. um, it still holds up as a, as a really solid thing. The first Scanners film does too, um, mm-hmm. less so with the infinite number of sequels. Um, you know, Complaining about Jurassic Parks and, and its diminishing returns on on sequels or or however you feel about Star Wars sequels, guys, horror films are doing it first and doing it worse. I have bad news. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I the Scanners films are fun, but past the first one, yeah. um, you know, the Howling. There's a there was a Howling the Marsupials movie, guys. <laughs> I mean, and you know, there's there. I think you can. 
you can argue over which of the Nightmare on Elm Street films you like, because uh, there's there's something to really enjoy for a lot of them, but none of them have the impact of the very first one. Um, and it's the same for things like like Halloween, and and although oddly enough, um, something like Friday the Thirteenth, it's the second film for a lot of people because that's really where you got uh, Jason Voorhees um, the iconic bad guy and even then you don't have the hockey mask Yeah. so I mean but so many of these things it's like Jason takes Manhattan Jason goes to space <laughs> leprechaun in space okay Duh. don't need I don't I don't want to hear about how bad you think your your favorite franchise's movie uh, didn't work I got leprechaun in space guys I can trump anything you've got yeah, <laughs> I got Hellraiser in space. <sighs> uh, yeah, it's in Amer- uh, American Werewolf in London, the transformation oh, yeah. scene as a as a well, as an iconic it's pra- it's a, that incredible it's practical, practical effect. This is pre CGI, yeah. and then you look at they they when they made a sequel to it, which nobody was asking for, American Werewolf in Paris, and it's all CGI creatures, mm-hmm. and they are just. It it forgot it forgot the lesson of the first one, which is a hard lesson to learn, because it's a horror comedy. It's a very that's a that film is dark comedy. Yeah, and it's less about the werewolf than it is about the poor guy who's becoming the werewolf. And you know, I mean, that's a it's hard balance to get. It's much easier to make the film about the monster than it is about the person who becomes the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm I'm intrigued, really intrigued by the Eddie Izzard, uh, Jekyll and Hyde movie because how are they how are they going to take it? How are they yeah. how are we going to how are we going to treat the character? Because to me, Hyde is the less interesting character. We know Hyde's a monster, but right. Jekyll is the tormented character, right? So I'm I'm really curious to see how they do it because if they get it right, if they get it wrong. Eh, uh, Snob has the question of the night: Is Jason in space worse than the Last Jedi? Yeah, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because I don't, I don't. When we've mentioned it on the phone, I don't hate the Last Jedi. I understand why people do. Mm. I don't. I understand. It's. I, I. I think it's a film with a lot of problems. But I. I also there's this there's this tension that I'm I'm really seeing right now in in these these legacy franchise series right whether it's star trek or or star wars or doctor who or whatever it is there's there's this tension that is going between the folks who want things the way they always were or the folks who want to try something new and i think the real challenge for these storytellers and they they don't get it right all the time and sometimes they get it right very rarely and sometimes they get it right fantastically and a lot of times it comes down to what the fan this each individual fan is enjoying right um, so so they tried to do something in the last jedi and it didn't work it but wor- it, it worked exactly according to what ryan johnson said he wanted to do but it didn't necessarily it didn't work for the for the for oh it doesn't work the for the vast- franchise but that wasn't the goal well but but the thing is is that nothing about Jason X, Jason goes to space. <laughs> it's 
it's not a good looking movie. It's a stupid story. Mm-hmm. It it is a it is a more conscious effort to sabotage a franchise than the movie. The final what is it? Uh, Jason, the final nightmare. The word "final." It, no, they couldn't even. <laughs> So I mean yes, I, mean, I you do don't, have you don't... to. I do have to give you the pretty part. The Last Jedi, the cinematography on the Last Jedi, is impressive. Well, and and I think that that. However, the, the, and again and again, it's good. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't. Like I said, it's got a lot of problems. I also don't love it. It's a. I'm like, that's a movie that happened. Yeah. And and you and I have talked about this before too. It's like. Because there have been so many horror films, it's like, oh, you've just let me down. Um, I, I look at this stuff and I go, okay, I didn't like it as much as such and such, and, and then I'm I'm done complaining about it. Yeah, <laughs> I I think it's I've, interesting. I've been though, broken and jaded before, you guys. Well, this and is... <laughs> and maybe this is something that we look at. Although it could get a little, it could get a little off the rails pretty quickly. But I think maybe we look at the Last Jedi in in. A specific sense because yeah it's disappointing yes it's it's flawed it's it's a bad movie it's it's a thing but in a lot of those horror films that are disappointing to fans and things don't go right or whatnot you don't have 30 years of history attached to that which now becomes to some people becomes damaged goods because the franchise, the franchise for, you know, for all whatever anybody thinks about what, what Lucasfilm was doing for star Wars, the franchise has not recovered from that yet in terms of box office and reviews and fan expectations and fan reception. I mean, there's been debate and argument all through since then even more heated and more angry and more argumentative, argumentative than ever before. The Last Jedi, oh, sure. it can be argued that The Last Jedi broke that franchise. And well, that's and something that, it, that, you know, Jason X didn't do. No, because the franchise was broken before that. Right. And, and you see films like the Hellraiser series. The franchise was broken long before they started. But the Hellraiser series, before they but the Hellraiser series the didn't have, the but it didn't have thirty years of history with with generations no, had, of fans. It had, it had quite a few years of history, and yeah. but I think that I think that the the Highlander two is another one of those, and that <laughs> was made by the same guy who made the I first know, one. Right? And immortals in space. space, space. <laughs> so I I I well I'm think that there is a there's an interesting discussion that can be had about fan expectations and and the dangers of the franchise anyway Mm -hmm. um because um i think that there is a whole lot of setting yourself up for disappointment that fandom seems to have embraced in the last decade or so it's always been there but i think that there's this this almost gleeful desire 
to be disappointed. Oh, I don't know that I'd say uh, it was gleeful. I think it's been. Ex- oh, I don't know. I think, I think, I think it's been exacerbated a, by the social media. Well, well it's, yeah, and I think there's an infinite number of YouTube channels, as we are on a YouTube channel, uh-huh. where people, you know, they they they've discovered that it's complaining about something is good for numbers, um, but, and, you know, I, I just. Just, we could do that here as, as much as I as much as I love this stuff I just don't have that kind of energy to yeah. be ang- angry or upset but and and I think part of that really does come out of the fact that there were so many disappointing um, horror sequels <laughs> like, I mean I I loved Halloween 3 season of the witch yeah and it it the Halloween franchise didn't recover from that until what four years ago? Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? I know. Speaking of arguing about fan expectations, that uh, that allows me to uh, promote tomorrow night at eight p.m. Eastern, seven Central. We've got uh, another discussion in the Ranker Pit, talking about the fourth episode of Obi Wan Kenobi. I'm going to be pushing buttons. I'm not going to be participating in the conversation because I haven't watched it. And not gonna. I have not. I'm I have not seen any of of the uh, Obi Wan Kenobi series yet. I am getting caught up on Stranger Things, yeah. um, which is which has been really fun because I'm way behind. And I have I watched the first episode of Miss Marvel, and I quite enjoyed it. I've heard some good things about Miss Marvel. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. My one criticism is the criticism that I think that. Um, I, I knew I was not going to be thrilled with, which is the fact that they, they changed her powers for yeah. the show. And I, I understand the logic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I thought in terms of, I thought in terms of, of actually building the world for this character to inhabit and, mm-hmm. and the performances, I, re- I really enjoyed the first episode. Yeah. We'll see how the rest of the series goes. Right. Disney, but, Disney needs a win. Well, you know, I've actually liked the TV series stuff. They, I mean, it's they're not, okay. They're okay, and and I've been entertained. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think that something like Moon Knight could have done a little better with having a better final episode. Um, I think that you know, I think of all of them so far, I probably enjoyed Loki the most. Mm. I, I you know, WandaVision, I, I was. WandaVision was kind of a tough act to follow for the TV shows. Yeah. But I also really liked, uh, um, well, Miss Marvel, it's not bad, but who is it for? Me, apparently. It's it's for, I, I want to say, just from looking at the marketing and from looking at the things that people have been saying about it, I think it's aimed more toward a younger audience generally. Sure. Well, so is the character. I yeah. mean, the character in the and but I think it's, well, I think it's part of, of, Tim's prediction of where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going. Yeah. They're building Young Avengers. They're building Dark Avengers. Yeah. There will be a fight between Young Avengers and Dark Avengers at some time. And then we'll get and Avengers versus X-Men. and Eventually. eventually probably. Yeah. Maybe. Speaking uh, of, of Disney, we're going to be talking about it tomorrow. We're going to get deep in the weeds on Live from the Bunker. So you can t- uh, join us for that at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, uh, we're going to be looking at the finances. They're they're ninety five dollars a share. I mean, this thing just continues to crater. 
so we'll be talking about, you know, firing Peter Rice and and what does Dana Walden's promotion mean and what are they going to do next and what disaster is going to befall them next? It's going to be something. They're fun times. Be fun fine. times. going to be fine. They'll recover. It's just a matter of, of it's, it's a question of how long oh, it's sure. going to take to get there. So, I mean, it's, they're going to be fine. Yeah. In the meantime, that's going to do it for us. Uh, you can connect with us on all the different social media. We're on 10 different social media platforms, four different video platforms. Do connect with us over on Odyssey uh, and sign up for our newsletter. I need to get something out here a little bit. If you would like to support us uh, financially without using the Super Chats, which YouTube keeps 55% of, you can go through PayPal with the tip jar and the subscribe star. Those two options are available as well. And, uh, you know, it's certainly not any kind of an obligation, but, uh, you know, we're just glad you're here. We're glad you keep coming back. And, and I guess you like what we do because you keep coming back. So, <laughs> all right. That'll do it for us this week. Thanks very much for being here, folks. We'll be back next week with another edition of the H2O podcast. Good night. Yes. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 